0: I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with why and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also earned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers, and a harem as well, for delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realise that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun, For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment? To a person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness, but to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth, to hand it over to a one who pleases God. This too is meaningless a chasing. Afterwards. Thank you very much for reading. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the leaders of the church here
1: at Trinity. If you're new here today or visiting, very, very warm welcome to you. It's lovely to have you with us, and I'd love to meet you at the end of the service of our time together. Well, maybe not the most cheery reading, as you heard that, lots of meaningless, wasn't there, as we heard that read? But there is good news uh, towards the end. We need it. We need it. Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Father God, um, this book of Ecclesiastes, Lord, as we said last week, written a long time ago, yet remarkably contemporary in some of the things that it says, all of the things that it says. So I pray just in this time together that we have, as we study this book and this particular part of the book, that you would, you would show us, Lord, what we need to see, that you would expose some of the things that we chase after in this life that are no good and actually are meaningless, are just mist and vapour. But more than that you would show us the goodness of a view of the world that has God at the center. I pray that you would do this work in our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. I was just showing someone before the service um, and we were saying that about two years ago that the pandemic started or at least we sort of came to our attention in the u k about two years ago and that lots of things will be looked back in history uh, as people that sort of observe and see things from that period. But one of the things that I'm always fascinated by is, is what people searched for, what people Googled during those lockdowns and the, um, the time that they spent indoors. So apparently people, uh, more people searched for when McDonald's was going to reopen than when schools were going to reopen. Make of that what you will. Uh, the spikes in the Google searches for how to install a hot tub in the garden. Um, or how to look up after a puppy that is untrained. Don't know how, don't know how that ended up. Um, but there were also a bit more serious searches that people were doing. Lots of people were searching, apparently, on Google for the meaning of life. They stopped what they were doing, the rush of kind of normal life, to actually just stop and to at least type in or start thinking about what's life all about? What what purpose is that? What meaning? in life. A guy called Dr. Vic Strecker, University of Michigan. He had a course online called Finding Purpose and Meaning in Life. And to his surprise in that first lockdown, 100,000 people enrolled on his course. Um, I don't know how, he, you know how he managed to do that. I think they didn't quite manage to make 100,000 people work or pay the fees, but he was, he was astonished by that. Or oh, Jordan Peterson, some of you might have come across him. Nearly 10 million views of his lecture on YouTube, The Meaning of Life for Men. Other people turned, they didn't they in a more spiritual direction. Apparently one in four people in the UK attended church during that first lockdown. 23% of the population in in some ways engaged, tuned in to a church service. On one Sunday morning, Zoom crashed. And apparently one of the reasons was because the amount of people tuning into church. Would you believe it? Maybe personally, you've asked that question over the last few or few years. What's life, what's it all about? What's the point? Of course, there's nothing new about this question. People have been asking this for years, and, and many figures in history have joined in this quest for meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life. And as we just heard from George there, this is... Today's reading is is one of the most famous examples of that. And here, this afternoon, we, we get to be a fly on the wall, okay? For one man's elaborate experiment and quest for meaning and comfort and happiness within the confines of this material world. But you know what? Despite limitless cash despite amazing resources and pleasure, he's going to say to us that whatever path, whatever route I went down for satisfaction, it it was just a dead end. So every route of potential happiness ended in vapor, mist, transitory. Do you remember we thought about that last week as we started this series? We met... Mr. Teacher, the preacher, as he's introduced in this book of Ecclesiastes. And he's reflecting on the big question, what gain is there, what profit is there under the sun? That is, in this earth, on this earth now. And his motto last week, which you remember, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless, he said. That that word meaningless, vapor, mist, everything is fleeting, transitory in this life. We saw that life in a fallen and broken world is inevitably frustrating. It's repetitive. And more than that, that the teacher shattered the illusion that our lives here and now are permanent. We come and we go, he said. We live and we die. We, Well, our life is just like a breath. We might say, okay, yeah, okay, but... But come on, life is full of meaning, isn't it? You can create your meaning. You know, uh, study for some people, it's partying for others, family, making money, experiences. And we're going to look into quite a few of those, but he's he's going to conclude, well, no, that too is hevel, a Hebrew word hevel, meaningless, breath, transitory. If we're looking for those things, for satisfaction and purpose and meaning, they're not, Going to satisfy us. And look, this is not the memoir of some grumpy, you know, middle-aged man who's recording this. No, verse 12, if you get your Bibles open again to page 670, if you've lost that place. Verse 12, we're told that this man is was the king over Israel in Jerusalem. There's some debate, as I said, about whether this is King Solomon himself or whether it's someone taking on a Solomon-like persona later on. Look, either way, Solomon is clearly in the backdrop of this chapter, we'll say. And the point in that is that look, if anyone in the world is going to gain and profit, it's going to be him. This guy was the, the richest. Um, I don't know if he was handsome. Uh, no, I'm not going to go into that. He, he was definitely the richest and wisest, maybe handsome king that ever existed. Surely it would be him. His biography would be top seller in Waterstone. He would have a blue tick on Twitter by his name. Well, let's see how it goes. Where does he start his quest, his headlong pursuit of satisfaction and meaning in this life? Well, he starts off with wisdom. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. This is um, this is day one, the first blog entry. Okay? It's his quest, it's his search. Day one, the blog goes up and it's for wisdom. He, he packs his bags, heads off to university and he heads down the wisdom route. Is that the answer? Academia, study, books. Is this possibly where the source of meaning and satisfaction lies. It's, it's a pretty well-trodden path, isn't it? You know, how many times have you heard, work hard when you're young, work hard, uh, go to the elite school, get the good grades, and your life, you'll be fine, you be great. And it goes like that for him a little bit. Maybe the late nights in the library, he's gone the monster kind of energy, caffeine drinks, doing the essays, and it seems to be going well. Look at verse 16. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Maybe it sounds a little bit braggy at first, doesn't it, him saying this? But I don't think that's the point. In 1 Kings, we are told that Solomon asked God for wisdom and he had it in abundance. He was world famous for his wisdom in the modern day. Today, if he was around, it would be letters after the name. Doctor this, doctor that, you know, primetime TV. They'll be wheeling him out to give his expert opinion on all the latest cultural and current affairs. So meaning, satisfaction, is it found in wisdom? We'll have a look at verse 14. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them, are meaningless, chasing after the winds, this is one of the favorite phrases that comes back a lot in the book. Uh, chasing after the wind. People say, don't they, it's, it's impossible to shepherd cats. Have you ever heard people say that? I don't mean, know if you've ever seen someone try and do it. to shepherd cats. If that's hard, shepherding the wind is even harder. You know, trying to catch the wind in a, in a glass. can't do it. And that leads the teacher here to the proverb in verse 15, where he says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I I think what he's saying is this let all the wisdom in the world, if you had a brain the size of Jupiter, some things in this broken world are unexplainable. Like, however smart you are, some things you won't be able to fix. You know, why is it that the kid next door, who's so bright and talented, suffers with such bad chronic fatigue? While the person on, on this side, living in the flat next to you, will. We know they're dealing drugs, but their life seems to be going brilliantly. And they're prospering. With all the wisdom in the world, some things will just be baffling and out of our control. And actually, I think that the wiser we are, the more that we learn about the world that we're in, often we have then a clearer picture of of the tragedies of life in this broken world. I think that's what verse 18 is getting at. He says, for much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I was, um, I was having my hair cut last Saturday, I think. Micah had his, his first. It was a lot quicker, and then they took a bit longer on mine. But I was having my hair cut, and I saw in the, I saw in the mirror, there was a lady there reading, flicking through the papers. And uh, she was reading away, and she was sort of, you know when someone's sort of doing that, but making quite sort of loud comments as they're going through. And at one stage, she just sort of threw the paper down next to her and she just said, it's all so depressing. There's no good news, is there? And everyone else sort of went, you know, yeah, in, the, in, the, in the barber's there. But essentially, she understands this. The more we grow in knowledge, the more we grow wise and understand things, so the more sorrow and grief we see in the world and we come to understand. Maybe that's why people say ignorance is bliss. Look, we're not saying here that you shouldn't go to university, you shouldn't study. Those things are good, as we'll see later. But think about it. If the answer to ultimate meaning is found in education and study, surely university lecturers would be the happiest people in the world and university campuses would just be a model of, kind of peace and happiness and love. Yeah. See how that's going, maybe. Is it wisdom? Well, no two, that is Hevel, breath, chasing after the winds. Okay, back on the blog, Send Uh, next day, day two, bit of a change of tacks. Blog entry number two, he turns to the everyday pursuit of pleasure as he continues his experiment. Look down at verse one of chapter two. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Spoiler alert. But that also proved to be meaningless. But the pleasure, that's a pretty common path, isn't it? Especially here in London, to go down. A lot of people you know, can't afford to get on the property ladder or to buy. So, so instead, let's create meaning through experiences and, and pleasure. Hashtag YOLO. is that kind of thing. And, and the teacher, well, how does he do that? Verse 2, he heads down to the comedy store in Leicester Square on a Friday night for a laugh. He goes after laughter. Is that it? No. A friend of mine used to say, I'd love to marry a comedian. That would just be so good, wouldn't it? Your life would just be a long laugh. Everything would be funny. But have you ever read a comedian's biography? Um, James Acaster, some of you might have heard of him. He's quite big at the moment. He opened up quite recently about suicidal thoughts. Um, First one-year-long breakdown after he split with his girlfriend fell out with his agents. Okay, not that. Uh, Next, where are we going to go? Well, the fancy wine bar, verse 3. He goes down that route. Uh, Experiments with alcohol. It's not so different today, is it? Of course, not all of these people are, but do you know how much the first quarter of 2021, how much we, the UK, spent on on alcohol just in three months at the beginning of 2021? Anyone shout out, have a guess? A couple of million? Yeah, not bad. 6.7 billion pounds in the first quarter of 2021. Good. There's no prize, I'm afraid. A biscuit afterwards, there we go. Um, But he tried wine. Maybe not that. Next stop, cultural projects. Have a look as I read verse four to six. He says, I I undertook great projects, built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. It's amazing, isn't it? It's extravagant, it's industrious. And did you notice the plural there as well? Not just a park or a vineyard, but parks, vineyards. It's extravagant, it's extraordinary. It's a, I don't know, the kind of place where, you know, the National Trust. Uh, folk with the the thermos flasks with the the tea there, they're turning up to to get a good look of this. It's a mashup between Kew Garden and Grand Designs and and Netflix are wanting to film the grounds and all that's happening with all of this building. But did you notice the emphasis? I, I, I. Did you see that as he goes through that list? I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. It's quite self-centred. Some have pointed to the fact that he's trying here to create recreate the, the Garden of Eden, paradise. On top of that, he's got slaves and some modern day say huge staff there. He's got property. And financially, well, he's absolutely minted. He's top of the Forbes rich list again. Well, when music. He's got the you know, the house band of Ronnie Scott's. Jazz club. He's got the the symphony orchestra to play the the evening concerts out in the gardens. And lastly, he's got sexual gratification without limits. It doesn't spell it out here. It just says there was a harem. That's basically a polite way of of saying what it says in 1 Kings 11, where the stats say that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Someone said that was the royal icing on his cake of pleasure. And it's worth saying just here, there's no comment at this point on the morality of that. The Bible elsewhere would speak about those things. But the point is here, he, his pleasure that he could experience is, is off the Richter scale in absolutely every sphere. He's got booze, he's got women, he's got property, money coming out of his ears. And so we we listen to this, we look at this and we say, Well, which one is it, teacher? All of them or one of them? Tell us, please. What's the answer? Where's satisfaction found? Well, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the winds, nothing was gained under the sun. What we're saying is that strive, if we strive for, for gain, for meaning in these things, we will be sorely left empty thirsty. We'll want more. Yet our, our sinful hearts still believe, don't they, that we can find fulfillment in exactly these same things. It's so contemporary, isn't it? Today. Yet C.S. Lewis, as, as he often says, I think, it's a little bit of a long quote, but I think he, he gets at this really well. Me. Most people he says, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in the world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us. A longing which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy there was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. Let's put it in a modern example. Alex James. Uh, I don't know if you know him, heard of him. He was the bass, bass player in the band Blur, sort of big in the, in the 90s here. And looking back on that period, he's, he's talked about it quite a bit in different places. And He said, look, when I was in the band, at that moment, I, I had it I had everything. He had his own plane. I mean, it's pretty cool, isn't it? He had his own plane. He had bags of cash, uh, crazy adventures, tours, drugs, sleeping with Vogue models. He had everything. Yeah, he said, when I look back, I think that period of my life was more like the bottom of a pit rather than the summit of Mount Fantasticus. I was morally bankrupt. I was a drunk fatso with a stupid grin. And a girlfriend with a, with a murdered heart. You and I need to know that Solomon, Alex James, they have drunk deeper from the well of pleasure in this sense than, than any of us have. Yet they've been left parched. In the words of that song, do you remember we sang a, a few minutes ago, based on Jeremiah chapter two? If we turn from God, the fount of living water, and we drink from cisterns, cracked and dry. That's kind of like an old clay jar, you know, just got some water, and it's just a little drip, you know, one every minute or something. It's not going to satisfy and quench our thirst. Okay, last blog post, blogging in again, (laughs) work. Can't cover every detail just because of time in this section. And again, everyone here today, is worth recognising, uh, not everyone is uh, here is in work at the moment, or maybe you don't work a sort of traditional nine-to-five job, but, but whether you're in the office or, or at home, work can be quite all-consuming, can't it? Many of us will feel that. Apparently, Londoners work three weeks extra than the rest of the UK, if you kind of put all those hours together. Don't leave London, just to clarify. I'm not telling you to do that. But you work more than everyone else. Okay. Uh, is, is this the answer? Is it the answer? Well, verse 17, he says, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, all of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You guessed it. It's the same answer. Why is it chasing the wind? Well, verse 22, if you see that, what do people get? He says, for all the toil, it's work, An anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? And the answer is not a lot. The main reason he's so disheartened, it seems, in verse 18, is that he'll have to leave everything he's done, all his work and money and those to, to someone else. And who knows what they're going to do with it. Maybe someone builds a big company. They did great work. It's an ethical company. It's brilliant. And then the next person comes in and, and just messes it all up, and all that work is undone. That could happen to anyone. I had a drink with a friend of mine, Nick, a little while ago, and he was telling me that in his, uh, his family, uh, a few generations back, they had a massive family fortune. And he said to me that they had a huge country manor. He said it wasn't Downton, but it wasn't far off. <laughs> it was a massive manor, loads of grounds. And one son in- inherited that money and made a series of appalling decisions with it. So apparently dairy farming was getting quite big in the UK at that point. And he ploughed fifty percent of the fortune into the wrong kind of cows. I I don't know I don't know what those cows looked like or why they were the wrong kind, but he blew it, half of the money on that and a, f- a few other appalling decisions. Uh, yet then after that, some bit of money left over went to Nick's grandparents who blew the rest of the money on port and cigars. And so Nick's dad had big fat zero in the bank account, meaning Nick did as well. He wasn't bitter, I don't think, as we chatted about that, but maybe he was a tiny bit. Look, like if we're looking for ultimate purpose and meaning in work, we're reminded again, it's just, just heavily, it's just breath, it's passing. So the quest for wisdom, is it in wisdom, is it in pleasure? Is in work, or the quest is complete. And look, he will say, look, Wisdom is better than foolishness. It's better to be wise than to be a fool. But, like we saw last week, the, the looming shadow of death that hangs over, well, over this and, and over all of us is a great leveller. Of course, we don't like to engage with death, we, we try distraction and diversion, but the teacher here, he wants to remind us and show us that actually all of us face the same outcome, whether you are the wisest person in the room or whether you're the fool. In the graveyards, they might be next to each other at the end of it. Leo Tolstoy, the, the author, I think age 50, maybe a midlife crisis, he said, is there any meaning in my life? that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy. And look, if there is no God, if, if there is no God, if this is just a closed universe that we live in, what's the point? What's the meaning? Yeah, I'd be glad to know that we don't finish there. These last few verses, they offer a desperately needed pathway to joy and pleasure and meaning that are available to every single one of us today. These verses, they come like a a cool glass of water in the middle of a hot desert. I don't know how you'd have a glass of water with you there, but that's the kind of thing that it comes at this point in the letter, in in this book of Ecclesiastes. Look at verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too. I see is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth, to hand it over to the one who pleases God, this too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. First, you might hear that in verse 24, and it sounds a bit like the, you know, when people say, um, just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. We do. It sounds quite like that, doesn't it? But, but it's not, because the clue here is that God is mentioned. Really, for the first time, positively in the whole of the book, God comes into the picture three times in three verses, because God is the giver. He's the giver of good gifts. God is not a spoil sport. But he is the source of enjoyment, and so it is God. He is the one who inserts meaning into our lives. It's not a contradiction. The teacher is simply saying here that enjoyment is not found in striving and going after gain, but it's found in enjoying God and his gifts. And that means that you and I, we can find enjoyment and pleasure in, in simple things in life that come as a gift from God. You know, the, the taste of the ripe honeydew melon, the smell of a, a barbecue in the summer, the ice cool beer with a, a friend in the park on a sunny day, even pleasure from work, you know, a project that's done and it just comes together and, yeah, we nailed it. That was great. See, only when we acknowledge God as the giver can we find enjoyment in this world that is, is amplified and deepened because of him? He inserts meaning. G.K. Chesterton um, put it like this. It's, it's slightly, slightly middle class pursuits and slightly of his time. But he put it like this. I think he gets it. He said, you say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera. And grace before the play and pantomime. And grace before I open a book. And grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, fox, uh, foxing. No, I don't think he does that. Boxing, walking, playing, dancing. And grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Okay, you might not be a professional fencer. That's okay. But do you see what he's saying here? He gets it. Life is so much better with God than without him. He inserts meaning and satisfaction as we recognize well, that he is the giver of all these gifts, given for our enjoyment. The problem is, though, whether you're here and you call yourself a Christian or you're not, each and every one of us put way too much weight and hope onto these things. The, the new car, the flat that we've been saving up for, house, the, the house, sex, family, whatever it might be. Look, all of these things are really amazing, good gifts from God. But these things were never designed to, to hold the weight that we put on them. We have a cavern in our soul that is infinitely deep. And it's only, well, it's only filled by one thing, or I should say one person, who can satisfy. So John chapter 4, we meet Jesus. Jesus Christ. And he's, well, he's talking to a woman. Do you remember at the well? Samaritan woman. She's a woman who's looking for her identity, her meaning, her satisfaction. And she's looking for that in relationships. Those relationships have gone pretty sour. Jesus doesn't scold her for that. He speaks really tenderly to her. And he offers her living water. He says to her, everyone who drinks from normal water will go thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them, they're never thirst again. See what Jesus is saying, just as we finish. He said, look, locate your meaning and satisfaction in the things of this world, and they will let you down time and time again. These good things, yeah, they're good, but they were never meant to take the whole weight that we put on them. But Jesus says, come come to me. And then you'll find enjoyment, meaning, satisfaction, both now and eternally. So can I ask, have you ever done that? Have you ever come to Jesus Christ in that way before? If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and you would like to do that. So I'd love to chat to you after the service. Do you come and grab me? But if you are a Christian, have you moved away from that? Have you moved away from Jesus? Have you looked for your satisfaction and meaning in that, that cracked, dry system with this little drop of water coming out once an hour, when behind us is the waterfall that is Jesus Christ of satisfaction and meaning that is available to us? See, when Jesus takes that central place in our life, well, that frees us then to enjoy the good gifts that he's given us. Gone on a little bit too long, but I'm going to be cheeky and just finish this with this one quote as I finish before Adam comes back up. There's a man called Malcolm Muggeridge. He's not alive anymore, but he, he was kind of a bit of a celebrity uh, journalist in his day, maybe one of the first of, of those. And later in life, he became a Christian. And this is what he says, and it sums up really what I've been trying to say. I think he says, "I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man." People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the Inland Revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake in trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was significantly heeded For me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time, that's fulfilment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply those tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, and they're nothing less than nothing, a positive impediment, measured against one draught of that living water Christ offers the spiritually thirsty. Irrespective of who or what they are. Just leave a moment for us to pause before I pray. Oh God, thank you that in your word, the Bible, there's so many different styles and genres. And thank you for the way that this part of the Bible is laid out to, to show us that even though this figure here had what seemed like everything that this world had to offer, it, it didn't answer this quest that he had for meaning. But thank you that we can learn from this, look back on this, and and more than that, see Jesus, who offers us complete satisfaction in and joy. Lord some of us maybe have lost that and we need to think about these things more and, and ask and pray that you would renew us and restore to us that joy of our salvation. I hope for others we've never thought about these things before we need to go away and consider Jesus Christ for the first time. Thank you Lord that there is good news that there is a God. This isn't a close universe there's hope even for people like us and we thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen.